What's up, guys? Welcome to the Dr. Joey Munoz Show. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different than the episodes that I've been publishing lately. This is going to be our first AMA episode, Ask Me Anything style of episode. I actually threw up a Q&A poll on Instagram the other day, and I asked you guys to put in whatever questions you want in the box there. And I went ahead and collected all of those together and put them in an order that I think kind of makes sense. And I'm gonna be answering those questions here on today's episode. By the way, guys, if some of you don't follow me on Instagram, make sure you follow me on there. That's the social media platform that I'm most active on. I throw up polls for Q and A's all the time, and I'm probably gonna be doing one of these AMA style podcast episodes maybe once every other week. I think it's really important that I obviously share useful and helpful information with you, but I think it's really important that I take time to address the questions that you have specifically. So hopefully you guys enjoy today's episode and hopefully you guys look forward to the future ones as well. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. Okay, the first question I got from one of you guys on Instagram is, if you have high LDL, I think this person had like 242 nanograms per deciliter or something like that, Should you be concerned and what should you eat to perhaps lower your LDL? Okay, for those of you guys that don't know, LDL is what we call our bad cholesterol, right? There's HDL, quote unquote, good cholesterol, LDL, quote unquote, bad cholesterol. I don't necessarily like those terms for my own personal nerdy reasons, but in general, that's how they're categorized, right? And high LDL levels are associated with an increased risk of cardiovascular disease, right? So heart attacks, atherosclerosis, etc. Now, some people think that high LDL cholesterol isn't bad because of a lot of the people in the carnivore community, right? They say, you don't need to worry about cholesterol. It's not that big of a deal. It's okay if your LDL is low as long as you're eating a ton of meat and no vegetables. And that's honestly absolutely horrible advice. There is so much high quality, good evidence showing that LDL concentrations are linearly associated with an increased risk of cardiovascular disease, okay? So the higher your LDL is, the higher your risk of cardiovascular disease. Now, that doesn't mean if your LDL is high right now that you're gonna have a cardiovascular event tomorrow, right? These things take years to develop, and that's why acutely some people are like, hey, my cholesterol levels are super high and I'm fine, It's because these complications don't develop overnight. They take years to develop. But yes, in general, if you do have very high LDL, you do wanna have lifestyle modifications that are gonna help you reduce your LDL, okay? So first and foremost, there's certainly a genetic component to our cholesterol levels. That's not something that we can deny. That's not really something you can do much about, right? If you have what's called familiar hypercholesterolemia, aka your family has high cholesterol, right? That is genetically passed on. And some people do need to go on medication, right? However, I don't think that medication should be the first line of action if you don't do some of the things that I'm gonna share with you here first. Okay, so first off, it's important to develop both exercise and nutrition related habits here that are gonna help reduce your LDL. If you're not exercising regularly, If you're not training your body at a pretty high intensity, that's gonna be incredibly helpful for reducing your LDL, right? Doing cardio, lifting weights, et cetera. If you are overweight, simply just losing weight, building muscle, improving your body composition is going to help reduce your LDL, okay? So those are obviously very general guidelines, but in general, weight loss and high levels of physical activity will help with regulating your blood cholesterol levels. 
Now, if we talk about your diet specifically, there are some modifications that you can make that will help reduce your LDL levels. First and foremost is substituting saturated fats for unsaturated fats, right? So things like butter, beef, right? Food sources that are high in saturated fat, if you can substitute those fat sources for more unsaturated fats, olive oil, different types of vegetable oils, that in itself has been shown to help regulate and actually lower LDL concentrations in people who have high LDL levels. And the second tip is going to be to increase your fiber intake. Similarly to replacing your saturated fats with more unsaturated fat sources, increasing your fiber intake should help reduce your LDL cholesterol levels if you're not eating enough fiber currently, right? And dark green leafy vegetables and beans and whole grains are some of my favorite fiber sources. Most people don't eat a ton of beans and beans are one of the best sources of fiber and have been clinically shown to help reduce and improve cholesterol levels. So reduce body fat, improve body composition, be physically active, substitute saturated fats for unsaturated fats and increase your fiber intake. All right, next question. Tips to deal with emotional or even stress eating, okay? Now, first and foremost, I need to uh, share the disclaimer that I'm not an, an like a eating disorder specialist or anything like that. But obviously, we've all dealt with times where we eat more than we should, perhaps because we're sad or we're stressed, etc. Right? I think the first thing that's really important to do, and these are small tips that I share with my clients in these situations, is to identify when you are engaging in these behaviors. Right? Because sometimes we engage in these behaviors and we don't really even think about it till afterwards. So the first step is to be conscious of these behaviors and then really think about why you're partaking in these behaviors and then trying to modify these behaviors, right? And again, this is easier said than done. And depending on the degree to which you partake in these behaviors and the psychology around these behaviors, you might actually benefit from having therapy session and digging into this a little bit deeper rather than just asking me for particular tips, right? But in general, I think one of the most effective ways to reduce behaviors that you don't want to partake in is to replace them with behaviors that serve the same role but are actually positive towards your overall lifestyle and your goals, right? So for example, if you notice that when you're stressed, you tend to resort to food, well, maybe you try to substitute the behavior that you engage in when you're stressed with something else that you enjoy, right? Because at the end of the day, we partake in eating when we're stressed because we enjoy the food that we're eating, right? But there are other things that we enjoy as well. Maybe you like going for a walk. Maybe you like listening to an audiobook. Maybe you like reading a book. Maybe you like watching a movie, right? It is first and foremost, being aware of when you're feeling stressed or emotional, being mindful of when you're gonna engage in a behavior that you don't want to engage with, and then actively work towards substituting that behavior with another healthy behavior, right? Now, this takes time, it takes work, it's difficult at first, but that's essentially the general thought process you want to have whenever you want to reduce a particular behavior for whatever reason and instead substitute it with something else that's actually going to help you get closer to whatever your goal is or help you not partake in the things that you think are self-sabotaging. All right, next question is, what are my thoughts on low volume style training like Dorian Yates? And I know we're bouncing all around the place here, emotional eating, LDL cholesterol, now we're talking about training. But let's go ahead and talk about this really quick. Um, Dorian Yates, for those of you guys that don't know, 
was a really high-level bodybuilder, and he really popularized low-volume training, right? You'll hear a lot of like people in the fitness industry talking about the importance of volume for hypertrophy and training with really high volumes to maximize muscle growth. And Dorian Yates and others like him essentially had the opposite mindset of only really doing one, maybe two sets per muscle group in a session, but going to absolute failure to the point that you literally cannot move, like your veins are popping, your face is turning red, you're getting lightheaded, like really, really high intensity training with really low volume. And I think there's something to be said about it, right? Because Intensity is a very important variable for training, right? I published an entire episode on how to train specifically for hypertrophy. For hypertrophy, If you guys haven't checked that out, make sure you do. I think it'll be published before this episode. If it hasn't been published, um, just wait till next week or the week after. And I'm putting together an entire episode on everything that matters for hypertrophy. But in general, I think there's something to be said about high-intensity training, right? Because effort is required to, to grow muscle. You can do a ton of sets, but if you're not training hard enough you're not gonna be stimulating the muscle sufficiently to actually grow. And intensity is a skill, right? You actually have to learn how to train very intensely. When people first start training, they think they're going to failure, they think they're really pushing themselves, but in reality, they're not. They're leaving a ton of reps left in the tank, and so their training isn't super effective for muscle growth. That being said, though, the evidence is pretty clear that higher volume training is better for hypertrophy. There's no doubt about it. If you can actually not train to complete failure, but maybe train at two or a three RIR, that which is like a seven or an eight RPE, RIR stands for reps in reserve, right? So leaving two or three reps left in the tank at the end of your set, that's gonna help you accumulate less fatigue, which helps you accumulate more training volume, which is gonna be more optimal for muscle growth overall, okay? So in general, I'm not the biggest fan of very low volume training with really high intensity because from an optimization standpoint, you would do much better with slightly lower intensity and higher volume for overall hypertrophy. Now, that being said, the amount of volume that you can handle is very individual, right? Stress, your ability to recover, your age, workload, lifestyle, sleep, these are all different variables that influence how much volume you can actually recover from. And for some people, they may benefit from slightly lower training volumes than others, but it's highly individualized, right? You have to train, you have to see how you're recovering, you have to see how you're progressing, and then tailor your volume accordingly. Are you tired of spending countless hours grocery shopping, cooking, and preparing your meals? I get it. Time is precious, and that's where Icon Meals comes into play. I've partnered with Icon Meals to bring you delicious, macro-friendly, and high-protein meals that will make it easier than ever for you to achieve your fitness goals. I understand that you may have hesitations over the cost of a meal prep service compared to cooking food at home. But let's face it, how often do you spend more money eating out because you didn't have time to prepare your food at home anyways? With Icon Meals, you not only save time, but you invest in your health. These meals are carefully crafted to be healthier and more in line with your fitness goals than most of the food that you eat out anyways. So why wait? Visit iconmeals.com and explore their wide array of mouth-watering meals. And as a special bonus for listening to this podcast, use code JOSEPH10 at checkout for a special discount off of your order. By the way, you can find all of the necessary links in the description of this podcast. Don't let time be a barrier to your success. Choose Icon Meals and fuel your journey towards a healthier, fitter you. Okay, next question. 
what are some of the differences in training splits between push-pull legs, upper body, lower body, body part splits, does it really even matter? And again, this is a topic that I'm going to cover in that hypertrophy training episode, but in general, the split that you follow does not matter. It literally does not matter. The split that you follow should be based off of your enjoyment and your personal goals. What matters most is that you train each muscle at least twice a week, right? So a bodybuilding split, if you're referring to just training each muscle once, like your chest on Monday, shoulder Tuesdays, back Wednesday, leg Thursdays, etc., that's not all that beneficial because you're only training each muscle once. But all of the other training splits, you're essentially training each muscle twice, right? If you do upper body, lower body, upper body, lower body, that's training each muscle twice. If you do push-pull legs, do that twice a week. That's training each muscle twice. What matters is that you train each muscle twice and that the split that you follow prioritizes your goals. For example, if maybe I want to train my chest a little bit more because I feel like my chest is lagging, then I may choose some sort of training split that emphasizes my chest more. And maybe I train everything twice a week, but I'm training my chest three times a week, right? So your split should be dependent on how many times per week can you train how do you enjoy training and ensuring that you're training each muscle at least twice weekly? Aside from that, the particular split that you choose really doesn't matter. Push-pull legs is not better than upper-lower. It's not better than three full body sessions, etc. Okay, there's more nuance to it than just what split do you follow. All right, next question here. What are some tips for coaches wanting to improve their social media game? This is going to sound cliche, but it's just practice. You need to get reps. You need to do it more and more and more. And over time, you'll get better at your skill, right? It's essentially honing your craft. If you actually, I haven't been doing social media for all that long, honestly. If you go back and look at my posts from like two years ago, they're complete shit <laughs> compared to the videos that I put out now in terms of quality, in terms of delivery, in terms of just the information I was delivering, how I was delivering it, it's improved tremendously over the years. And I've only really done a couple of things to ensure that my content gets better. One is I commit to making content every single day, right? So if you look at my social media, I'm posting content every single day. So you need to get the reps in. Two is I analyze my content, right? I actually will go over my content from the previous week, see what did well, see what didn't do well, pick up on trends on things that are doing well, discard the things that aren't doing well. Three, you need to be willing to try new things, right? I used to make just carousels. Then I started making Twitter style posts where it's just like a sentence or two of my thoughts. I started making reels, educational reels. I started making longer videos on Instagram where I break down a topic for three or four minutes. I started making cooking videos at the beginning, which I don't do anymore. I started making workout tutorials. So don't feel restricted and be willing to explore different types of content and then analyze what's doing well. At the same time, analyze what's not doing well and refine your strategy over time. And lastly, one thing that has helped me a ton is communicating with friends of mine who are also content creators and seeing what's going well for them, right? If you can together as a group discuss the things that do well, then you can exponentially increase your rate of improvement, right? And I always, always actively follow people on social media who create content about creating content, right? So Brock Johnson is one of those people that I've been following for a while. He's absolutely fantastic. There's a ton of pages on Instagram 
teaching you how to be a better content creator. There's also a ton of videos on YouTube discussing how to be a content creator, right? I studied like lighting, uh, right? Like how to film myself so it looks good because the way you film yourself is important. The way you look on camera is important. The way you sound is important. The way you speak and deliver your message is important. How should you start a video? What's your first sentence? What's your second sentence? How do you hook your audience? There's a lot to it. It's a science. And essentially, you need to study these things because they'll make your content better, right? It's not just about, I'm smart, I know what I'm talking about, let me deliver this message. Because there are a ton of really smart people on social media who unfortunately do not know how to deliver their message effectively. So learning how to create content itself is incredibly important. And if you follow those tips that I just shared with you, if you just do those things over time, you'll slowly get better at your content production, I promise. Alrighty, next question. How do you coach someone for fat loss who will not track calories? This is a fantastic question. Actually, any client that I work with, it's a requirement for them to track their calories for at least the first three months. Because if somebody has never tracked their calories, it's really hard for them to gauge whether they're eating too much, too little, they don't even know about like nutritional choices, like what are high calorie foods, what are low calorie foods, they don't learn about energy balance. They don't learn about their own nutritional energy needs. It's it's essentially a learning tool, right? So the first thing I try to tell my clients is like, hey, the goal is not to do this forever, but if you want to work with a coach, first off, from a coaching perspective, I need objective data to give you feedback on. And two, you're gonna learn more from tracking than you ever have about your nutrition in just a short time period, right? Again, it's tedious, it's a lot of work. You don't have to do it forever, but you should track for a short period of time. So first and foremost, I recommend that you convey that message whenever you're starting with a client who doesn't want to track. Second, which is something I work on with all my clients, is work on behavior change, right? So there are small habits that will help people reduce their caloric intake. For example, setting a goal for fruit and vegetable consumption, making sure they're eating plenty of produce, setting a goal for protein, right? Setting uh, physical activity goals, workouts, steps, right? Cardio, uh, behavioral things like keeping certain foods out of the house so you don't overeat them, making sure you're having a structured meal schedule, making sure you're meal prepping, right? These are all behavioral things that help people actually reduce their caloric intake. And if you're coaching somebody, you should be helping them develop these behaviors simultaneously. So yes, tracking calories is important. I would urge you to have a conversation with your client about why they should track at least for a couple of months. But then if they're really adamant on not tracking, you simply work on these behavior change related things. And you can have a simple habit tracker for them to track their behaviors so that you can have some objective data to give them feedback on during your weekly check-ins, for example. Hey guys, some of you may not know that I'm the scientific advisor for a supplement company called Outwork Nutrition. I help with the formulation of new products to help ensure that they're effective and backed by science. Unlike many other supplement companies out there, we don't rely on exaggerated claims or flashy marketing tactics. Instead, we let the science speak for itself. We take pride in formulating products that deliver real results, helping you achieve your fitness goals in a meaningful way. If you're in the market for supplements like protein powder, pre-workout, or recovery products, make sure to check us out at outworknutrition.com. And as a thank you for being an avid listener of this podcast, use code Joey for an exclusive discount at checkout. You can find the link to our website down in the description of this podcast episode. Remember, our goal is to empower you with science-backed supplements that truly make a difference. Choose Outwork Nutrition and elevate your fitness to new heights. All right, next question. Does creatine actually make you gain weight? And the answer is yes and no. <laughs> it makes you gain weight, but it makes you gain water weight, 
right? Because when you consume creatine, you're actually storing creatine inside your muscle and creatine makes your muscles absorb more water. So you're actually increasing the volume of water inside your muscle cells. So you are hydrating your muscles, which will cause you to gain weight. If you're a larger person and you have a lot of muscle, you could gain anywhere from three to five pounds. It doesn't mean you've gained any body fat. It doesn't mean you're not losing body fat. It just means that you have more water in your muscles. That's literally all That's literally all it is. I've made a ton of videos on creatine and water retention and weight gain. I could get more into the nitty gritty of that, but I'm just gonna leave it there because that's essentially what it is. You're just storing more water in your muscles. Water weighs something, right? So you're gonna increase your weight as a result of taking creatine. Next question, do you need carbs, protein, or both post-workout and why? Great question. So you don't necessarily need to stuff your face with carbs and protein immediately after working out, right? Carbohydrates are going to help you replenish glycogen. Protein is going to help you resynthesize or increase muscle protein synthesis, which is going to help you synthesize new muscle tissue. But you don't have to do it immediately after working out, right? There used to be this thought that the anabolic window was 30 minutes. And if you didn't eat within those 30 minutes, you were wasting your workout. That is complete nonsense. It's not true at all. That being said, though, there isn't a good reason to not eat after your workouts, right? The sooner you eat after your workout, the quicker you're going to be stimulating those recovery mechanisms. So in general, it is a pretty good um, idea to, to eat some carbs and some protein post-workouts. You could just have a normal meal, right? Like you could just plan to have your lunch or your dinner, whenever it is that you train, have that meal right after you train, or at least within an hour after training. And again, it's important because it's going to help you start the recovery process as soon as possible, essentially. All right, next question. Why do I get a headache when I lift? All right, so I'm right there with you. I used to get a headache when I lifted as well, especially when I was training really, really hard, hard compound movements, sweating a ton, and I think it mainly comes down to dehydration. Make sure you are hydrating properly. I actually started using an electrolyte supplement. I've been using Element. I'm not sponsored by them at all, but I really like their product. And I've been using that, drinking that with about 20 ounces of water prior to working out and making sure that I'm drinking water sufficiently throughout my workout and it's helped reduce headaches a ton. All right, guys, last question here today is, is weight training for teens safe? Yes, absolutely yes. Weight training is not dangerous for teenagers at all. It's actually one of the best things you can do to help you reduce risk of injury with other sports, right? People tend to think, or parents tend to think, oh no, my kids are gonna play sports like basketball or football because it's safer and lifting weights is not safe. It's the exact opposite. <laughs> the risk of injury from those sports is actually way higher because they're contact sports, there's a lot of unpredictable things that can happen, right? Clashing into another kid um, and injuries happen. Actually, injuries per 100 hours of exercise or a physical activity is substantially lower with weightlifting than it is with other sports. And lifting weights will actually make, will help teenagers become stronger, more resilient, strengthen their muscles, their bones, their joints and ligaments, and actually reduce the risk of injury in other sports as well. Any teenager who takes their sports seriously should be weightlifting regularly and intensely, obviously under appropriate supervision. It's important that they're doing things correctly because there's a lot of shitty coaches out there that don't really know how to coach weightlifting. Um, and obviously teenagers sometimes have a big ego and want to lift more weight than they can, but those are other topics, right? In general, weightlifting is very safe. 
And there's also the myth that weightlifting stunts growth, and that's not true at all. There's evidence showing that weightlifting does not stunt growth whatsoever, especially if done correctly. Anyways, guys, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Stay tuned for more future AMA episodes like this in the future. Again, if you enjoyed this episode, all I ask for you to do is leave me a rating um, on the podcast on whatever app you're using, right? I do these episodes completely for free. I also really enjoy doing them, but I really want to grow this podcast. And one way you guys can show your support and appreciation is just by leaving a review, um, ideally five stars if you guys really enjoy it. But I'll let you guys leave the review that you like. Uh, rating and review, right? I guess five stars would be a rating. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please give it a thumbs up and subscribe to my channel. I'll catch you guys in next week's episode. Peace.